When planning the road to success, there are a few steps to keep in mind. Identifying and solving the cause, facing and embracing change, goal setting, and being accountable. We'll talk about this today on Sustainable Success with Chris Salem. New and healthier habits lead to prosperity in all areas of your life and business. Now, here's your host, Chris Salem. Well, welcome, everybody. Hope everyone's having a great week, the Sustainable Success way. It was a cold early week here in New York, but we're warming up here. But despite how the weather is outside, everything is going smooth here at Sustainable Success. We hope everything is going well in your business and your personal life. If you are new to Sustainable Success, you found us here at the Voice America Influencers Channel. We encourage you to also follow us on Facebook at Sustainable Success 2017, also on Apple Podcast as well. There you'll find many of our great guests that we've had on over the years sharing their words of wisdoms and insights to help move your personal success and business to the next level. We always bring in guests that share in their personal stories, insights to help to inspire you to really become more than what you think you are to move your life and business forward. Today's show is being brought to you today by Alumni Direct. Alumni Direct is a new social media community platform dedicated to bringing alumni together and a great opportunity to rekindle old relationships and meet new people, perhaps from different generation types that went to your school, ways to now generate authentic, genuine relationships without all the noise you get in other social media. We encourage you to check them out. They offer a lot of different member benefits. That is alumnidirect.com, alumnidirect.com. Well, we have a great show for you today. And I'm really excited about hearing from this gentleman. It brings a lot of wor- uh, w- wisdom and insight that is going to help you, uh, you know, in- with his story that he's going to share. And what a phenomenal business success and just successful in life. And uh, we're going to be talking about On the Road Less Traveled. And I'm going to give a little background about our guest. His name is Ed Hajim. Uh, Ed Hajim is the son of a Syrian immigrant, is a seasoned Wall Street executive with more than 50 years of investment experience. He has held senior management positions with the Capital Group, EF Hutton, and Lehman Brothers before becoming chairman and CEO of Furman Cells. Uh, Ed has been the co-chairman of ING uh, Barings, uh, America's region, chairman and CEO of ING Hiatus Group, and ING Furman Cells Asset Management, and chairman and CEO of MLH Capital. He is now chairman of High Vista, a Boston-based money management company, And in 2008, after 20 years as a trustee at the University of Rochester, Ed began an eight-year tenure as a chairman of the university's board. Upon assuming that office, he gave the school $30 million, the largest single donation in its history, to support scholarships and endowed the Edmund A. Jim School of Engineering and Applied Sciences. Through his family foundation, he has made generous donations to organizations that promote education, healthcare, arts, culture, and conservation. In 2015, he received the Horatio Elger Elger Award given to Americans who exemplified the values of initiative, leadership, and commitment to excellence who have succeeded despite personal adversities. And without further ado, we welcome Ed Hajim to the show. Ed, how are you doing today? Well, Chris, you you made the first, we made the first mistake. Hajim is much better, but it's Hajim. Hajim, oh my God. So uh, I, got the I am like the worst with pronunciation. No, 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 no. A, I had all my life. It's been that it's the only five letter words like that in the world. My, my daughter, 
found some guy, I guess a Moroccan in a prison someplace that, that had the same five letters. That's the, we, the customs made the name up and nobody could pronounce it. And I, I've been criticized for having the school at the University of Rochester named after me because that way 400 students every year when they graduate have to suffer with the pronunciation of my name like I have all my life. <laughs> Well, I am so we are so honored to have you here and all the great things that you've done, you know, in your life and where you came from and and what you've done, you know, in not only in the business world, but, you know, as a family man and, you know, as a community leader and obviously everything that you do, giving back to uh, other uh, organizations and giving your time and resources to help them move forward and help other people. You know, let's talk about, you know, you know, with everything, when there, when there is success in, in someone's life or in a business or in a community or whatever that means, there's always another side to it, right? There, there was a journey that took us from where we were to where we are today. I'd love, we'd love to hear a little bit about your background and your story, because it's so inspiring, you know, from your book and, uh, you know, to kind of set the stage of, you know, letting people know wherever they are, there's another, there's a, there's another chapter uh, waiting to unfold for them. Well, it's, in the book's message is, is very, very simple. It's just, I really want to communicate to young people, especially, and older people as well, that anything is possible. And anything is possible in America. And that education is the solution to most problems, if not all problems. You know, I was very, and essentially lucky and unlucky in my background. As a youngster, I spent my time, after my father actually kidnapped me when I was three, leaving, and my mother had basically got divorced. My father had taken me to St. Louis. He was very unhappy about me being separated from him, so he came to St. Louis and basically kidnapped me, took him back to Los Angeles. And in the book, I say that time my mother was, you know, thinking and not feeling. She felt it was better off for me to be with my father because she wasn't welcome in her own home. My father was, you know, feeling and not thinking. He didn't know what a three-year-old would be like back in a hotel room <laughs> in Los Angeles. Anyway, uh, things progressed poorly. He he was in this, when the war started, he went into service as, an in, as, a, as a radio operator. And I ended up with 13 years in five foster homes and two orphanages. And, you know, that sort of a, sounds like a terrible story. And it, it is a terrible story, but it gave me all those disadvantages that I had during that 15, 13, 14 year period end up being advantages as I got older. I mean, when you were living in 15 to 20 different places, when you're a youngster, you develop something called adaptability. I mean, you, you kid about it. You go from one schoolyard to a totally different schoolyard, you learn how to adapt or else. And I did that five times before I was 14 years old. And, and also you develop resilience. You know, you, you, things are very difficult. In a, and the foster homes in those days were not terrific. They usually were people who took you because they needed the money. And it was kind of a difficult experience. I wasn't Cinderella, you know, but I, but I didn't get treated terribly well. But that built resistance. And then, of course, that also built self-reliance. Because essentially, mm-hmm. I had no father, no mother, no aunts, no uncles, no grandfathers, no grandma. You depend on yourself. Yeah. So getting to be 18 years old, I was became self-reliant. So that's my story. The story's in the book very I think the writer did a good job of laying it out. My daughter actually did the first draft because I had difficulty dealing with it. See, I had buried my background. When I was 18 years old, I left the last orphanage to go to college, and I decided to bury it. And I buried it until I was nearly in my early 70s. And then pressure from my wife, pressure from my children, and pressure from the University of Rochester basically said, we had to know more about you. 
now to the chairman, I decided to, they all agreed that I should write it down. Yeah. But then to print it, self-publish it, print it, and give it to 100, you know, 50 my friends and so forth. But as I sent out the first 25 galleys to friends of mine, they said, no, you can't do this. You've got to share this with a lot of other people. You'll be, you'll inspire young people. You'll convince everybody that anything is possible. And one young, one woman, good friend of mine, on the back of the book, she said, every freshman in every college in the United States should read this book. So she sort of encouraged me to do it. And so on, on the first emphasis, when I started printing it out, and some publisher came in, gave me a fabulous deal. He gave me $1,000 up front and <laughs> took 90% of the revenues from there. But the first books I sent out, really, I started to get excellent response. And I started to get satisfaction out of talking to young people. And now I'm in seven colleges and, and schools. And I've had four or five corporations. I just got an order from a very large bank in New York to give to their interns. So I'm being encouraged to go forward because in many respects, I'm violating one of my rules as spending 50 years on Wall Street, I had a rule that to live happy is to live hidden. So I turned down all meetings with guys like you. I turned down <laughs> all guests and NBC because I thought that I'd spend my time with my clients and, and not be a public figure because being a public figure was a whole other experience. And so I decided not to do that. So I'm really out there in the open now. And, and you know, my daughter was nervous that, that you know, somebody would come on my bat, 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 past and say some th nice things about her. But I said, Look, I'm 85 years old. Most of the skeletons in my closet are dead. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. But, you know, I, I love, you know, the fact that, you know, that transparency is so key and the fact, and, and I love what you talked about self-reliance and how that experience in the orphanage taught you that at a young age. Because you think about today in today's world, I mean, let's even say in the last 30 years, you know, a lot of kids, I'm not saying that, that, that it's the case with every child, but many children are enabled, right? They're enabled. They're they, maybe your parents go out of their way to please and enable them, and they come out and they're just they're dependent on things that normally that they you know if they went out of their way they could do for themselves, and and to break these that codependent. I love the fact that you talked about self reliance because that is so key. If you could shed some insight, on Chris, that. you're you're right on, and it's you know what happens is people in their early years that don't get into difficulty, uh, don't get put on their own. When they come against that, you know, when they take their first job, they come up against a difficult situation. It's very hard to handle because they never handled it before. So I, and again, my children, I did the same, made the same mistake that most parents make. I gave my kids a private schools, you know, everything that I could possibly do for them. Luckily, because of the work ethic, I made them work every summer. Yes. I tell people, take your kids in the summer and get them on their own. Knowles, uh, National Outdoor Leadership School, Outward Bound. You know, I, 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 the best job my daughter ever had, she drove an ice cream truck for a summer. You know, you get every possible experience in driving an ice cream truck. But you've got to get these kids out by themselves, alone, away from this experience, which is really, we took care of our kids too well. And what I got was self-reliance. I had to get, I had to be self-reliant. And so when it came upon a difficult situation, yeah, it wasn't any more difficult than what happened in my childhood. So I was able to handle it. Also, a little voice in the back of your head after you've gone through a couple of tough experiences as a child says, you, you can make this. Don't worry about it. Just keep pushing away. One of, the, one of my real goals right now is to communicate very strongly with foster children, orphanage children who are first year in college. You got to get through that first year because yeah. it is so difficult because you come in there today, not so much because you have two or three other people like you. I was kind of all alone, but you know, 
you feel different, you look different, you think different. And then comes a holiday, you got no place to go. You know, those you got to get over that. You know, and and I got over it. You know, my first year was ugly at University of Rochester. I got rejected by every fraternity. You know, uh, you know, and 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 you know, even some of my friends rejected me because I I was so different. I also hid my background. People asked me who your mother and father. I wouldn't tell them. So I became a very odd sort of person. And but the first year I got through it and I did pretty well. And then the second year I got pledged by every fraternity on campus. So oh, it was that's our, what fraternity did you end up going with? What was the fraternity you were Theta with? Chi. Theta, Theta Chi. Theta Chi. Oh yeah, I know Theta Chi. I was a Delta I, I, Sigma I, I, Phi I, I, at ASU. I, so I could yeah, I remember Theta Chi. We, we, we were you know we we won all the sports things and so forth. It was it was a it was a great experience for me. And I, I became the social chairman too, which was which in my my junior year, which was the hardest job I ever had in my life. Was every Saturday night I had a satisfy the brotherhood with a good party or else I was in trouble. <laughs> exactly. And have you know, those, those... you learn in college, you know, all the engineering stuff I learned became obsolete within five years, you know, putting on a fraternity party lasts for a lifetime. Oh but, yeah. And my son, my junior year, I created a humor magazine, which basically changed my life because for the first time in my life, I found out my true passion was to put people together. And you said this in one of your introduction, I found that my passion was helping people do better than they thought they could. Yeah. Have them exceed their own expectations. And that's what I've tried to do almost all my life. I did it unconsciously for a while. Then in business, I started to recognize that's that was the MO for me, was to communicate to people, I want you, Chris, to do better than you think you can. You know, you can do better than you think you can. You're really a happy person. Yeah. No, I love that. I love what you just said, Ed, there. I mean, so what would you say, like somebody that's, you know, that's listening to the show right now, those that will be listening later, we have a lot of listeners that listen to the show, you know, even after the fact that, you know, maybe, you know, struggling, maybe they're like, they're, they're, they're in a profession. They're not sure. Is this for me? Uh, maybe they're looking to take their business to the next level. Maybe they're struggling in their personal life, relationships, well-being, or maybe their past, you know, they, they could have had, you know, something in their past that they can't seem to kind of get out of their own way. What would you recommend to someone from your experience and everything that you've learned to this point that you could say where they are? What, what would be the first thing you could recommend to them? Go to my book. I'm, I've written a separate book on this. Uh, in my book, the epilogue is something called the four P's. I, I think the most important thing you do, no matter what you're doing, is have a conversation. The only constant in your life is, is your inner voice. Mm. You've got to develop a language for that inner voice. And I've, I've, you have your own language, but I've recommended a language to you. It's called the four Ps. Find your passion, which is an overused word, but includes your talents and so forth. Find your principles, the rules you want to follow in life. Yep. Find your partners. Partners are key in this case. You know, all things you talked about, if you've got the right partner, you've got half the solution. Then finally, find your plans. You know, really write down all the kinds of questions you have about yourself. I, have a, I must have a thousand yellow pads for a lifetime with lines <laughs> through them, positives, negatives. So, but, you know, each one of these things, you just review. And I recommend you review once a year, very lightly. And every three years, really do a deep dive on those things. And then once you get that, divide life into four parts. This is a more complicated. I know that you no, please break it down for us. Self, and that you spend most of your early life earning about self. And by the way, self has a huge impact. If you grow up in an orphanage, it's one thing. If you go to you go to Greenwich, you go to Brunswick School like my kids did in Greenwich, Connecticut. It's another thing, you know. So self is very important, and it affects you. So as we've gone through, you know, you get self-reliant if you're in an orphanage. If you go to Brunswick School, you may not get self-reliant. You might be maybe able to do it or not. 
Uh, then the second part is family, and family is very important, and it's work and business and giving back, community. Those four things you carry through your whole life, and that's why the, one of the chapters of my new book is called Balance is Bullshit, because you're always out of balance. Oh, I, I love that. Can, can you? We, we have about three, three minutes to the break, but let's hone in on that. I love that. Go ahead. Now, you're always out of balance. You're always focused more on yourself for a while. You know, more on your business. So people sometimes for overly focus on their business and lose their family. Yeah. So you, it's, I'm just saying, if you're always out of balance, you recognize that. Always try to move back toward balance. So you know, be to be humorous. If you're spending, you know, every night at the office one week, make sure you take your wife to dinner the next week. It's yeah. very important. <laughs> or as we did, I plan I planned these vacations with my kids. You know, a full week on a boat in the Caribbean. And it's, by the way, on a boat, you can get a small enough boat in the Caribbean. It's not expensive. You know what's better than a boat than a ski vacation? At night, guess who can't get away? Kids can't get away. They, they can't get away. Home. Exactly. They can't talk to you. <laughs> so, those are, so those are the four parts of life. If you take those four Ps and lay those on the four parts of life, you'll get some of the answers to the questions you had, I believe. At least I've used it very well. Because what is your, and by these things change. Your passion changes. Some of your principles, I've added to my principles all my life. No, principle I gave you my one of my principles is try to help people do better than they thought they could. Add to that, you can, you can reach almost any height if anybody if you don't care who gets the credit. Then take it even further. Start to deflect credit in your life. When someone says, "Chris, you're a great guy. You did a great job." No, no, the, Matt did it. Matt did it. He took care. Of it. He's an engineer. You know, try yeah. to deflect credit and see how you feel about that. And really yeah. works out. And I started to do that in my midlife. I was an earlier. I wanted to take credit because I think I needed credit. But, you know, later on, you know, I started to deflect it. And I give you some experiences about that. It's really very satisfying. And it ends up, the more you give away, the more you get back. Well, yeah, I, I love what you just said there. I, I always have a statement about like what you just said. Give without expectation, receive exactly. without resistance. Exactly. And, and it exactly. doesn't mean that it comes back from who you gave to. It comes back from wherever. But you don't, you don't reject it. You you receive it as long as it, you know, it's, it's good for you. It's healthy or serves you in your business. You know, not something that's not going to be harmful to you. Of course. I love what you talked about, uh, you know, balance, like, you know, balance is, it, it's, it's like, you know, striving for perfection and no one's going to be perfect and balance is exhausting. I love like, like in essence, what you just said was it defines harmony, right? It's like a seesaw. Like you're, you're, you're trying to find You're juggling that. basically. You're juggling, you're watching those balls in the air, you know, you're doing that all your life because, you know, business will all of a sudden say to you, you go to Lehman Brothers and they, you know, it's 24 by 7 for 12 months, you know, or else you don't make it. So you yeah. have to do that. You tell your wife that and she knows she's going to be less important. Then a child gets sick or a child has a problem. You know, your kid has Asperger's or something. You spend a lot more time on your family and your business suffers a little bit. And then later on in your life, when you're giving back, you know, when I became the chairman of board of trustees at Rochester, I essentially had to give up my business. I closed my, my, my hedge fund and I was doing very well too, but I felt that if I was going to do a good job over here, I, and that's the, the concept of it. And, and don't be uncomfortable yeah. about, you know, focusing because focus does provide success. When no, you, it does. In order to have success, you've got to focus. You've got to have focus. focus. You, you know, and then you, you know, when, you, when you're giving yep. back, in many respects, you start to lose your feeling about yourself because, you, you know, you can't focus on yourself and you're changing, you know. Oh, yeah. So, so we're going to, we, we got to go to break, but we, we come back. I, we got so much more from Ed here. So those that are listening, do not go away. Again, you can listen to the show in its entirety later today on 
the road less traveled. We got more to come from Ed, and we'll be right back after the break. What is balance? It's being true to your purpose and not being distracted by shiny objects. Surrounding yourself with family and loved ones. Nurturing your spirituality. Maintaining a healthy balance of emotional and physical wellness. And being present in the moment. Chris Salem creates awareness about eliminating limited beliefs or unblocking mindset barriers for entrepreneurs, sales professionals, business leaders, and professional athletes to have sustainable success at the next level. The solution evolves out of resolving the root cause to the problem. The issue is that many people and businesses manage the problem but do not address the root cause to it. You now have the opportunity to live your life and operate your business in the solution rather than the effect of your challenges. Schedule a time to chat about your goals and the person you desire to be by going to ChristopherSalem.com. We have group consultation calls, one-on-one, and other programs to assist you. It will be the best thing you do for yourself to see how sustainable success is possible for you in your life and business. Join us at the next level. Visit ChristopherSalem.com. This is the Voice America Influencers Channel. Be inspired. You are listening to Sustainable Success with Chris Salem. Call into our program today at 1-866-472-5795. Again, that's 1-866-472-5795. Or send an email to Chris at ChristopherSalem.com. Now... Back to sustainable success. Well, welcome back. If you're just joining us, we're talking about on the roadless traveled. Uh, this is a book that our guest, our, our uh, that is on Ed Hajim is on. If you have not, if you're just joining us, you have to listen to this show in its entirety. Ed laid down some golden nuggets here in the first segment, and we highly encourage you to listen to this show its entirely. It is going to be a game changer for those wherever you are in your business, wherever you are in your personal success, whatever that means to you, listen to Ed. And we're going to give you an opportunity to know where to get your hands on his book here later in the show. So we got lots more to cover here. So Ed, you know, when we look at life, you know, there's always things changing, evolving, business, same thing. What's really important, like you always hear that term with content, you know, there's content, like, you know, what, you know, what, what do we do with it? Or what is what you know? What is whatever it is, but then you got to get into the context of it. Something contextual. Talk about the importance of context or being contextual, whatever that may mean to a person uh, in their journey in life and business. Yeah, I think that you can take a historic perspective, just quick and funny. Like actually, around the dinner table some night, think about being born in 1900. What 70 years of your life looked like the Spanish flu, you know, a couple of crazy good years in the 20s, then the Depression, then the Second World War, then post-war, and the 70s weren't very good. So you had really a tough, tough, a tough experience. Now, I was born in 1936. You know, by the time I was in my, you know, we've had a golden age for the last 40 years. Yeah, we've had some bumps. We had 9-11, few things like that that were very horrible. But in many respects, you know, it was really a golden age. And so I was able to progress much better. So I, I recommend everybody think about their particular life, whether they have 20 years left or 50 years left, what's going to happen during that period and how can you take advantage of it? And if it, it's a bad time, you can take care of it. Some of the people in the depression did extremely well because they sensed what was going on. Bernard Baruch, 
for one of them. So I'm not sure that, but you can predict what's going to happen to some extent. For example, we know that AI is going to be a big deal. We know that China is going to be very, a very important part of our future and so forth. And you can go through, I made a long list of the things you got to pay attention to. And young people in particular have to pick out what I call to make life a little easier, get the wind at your back, find a theme or what I call latent demand, you know, an unsatisfied need, you know, a cycle of, of great sort, something way out of, way out of, out of, out of favor or something like that, that you can get involved with that meets your passions and also carries your principles and you can find the right partners to do it. And I, that's my basic plan for people, but be sensitive to your context. And it's very important that each context is different. If you're, if you're, you know, you're born at the top of a cycle, it's not such a good idea, you know. If you're born at the bottom, it's like I was born in the Depression. And so even that experience for me, I was in a very small core cohort of male babies. So what happens when I try to get a job or get into college? I'm competing with less people. And so not that that's important. It's just you, you have to understand that. If you're part of a baby boomer, it's a hell of a lot more competition. But those kinds of things in my mind are something that people spend time on. So I say, this sort of, I, I have four or five things I always look at. I always look at what the government's doing, driving, those are what I call the, the theme drivers. Government is a theme driver. They decide that they're going to get behind defense spending. Defense spending is going to go for a period of years, healthcare, whatever else. The second one is demography. The demography is very important. That's why you can't change. If you're part of the baby boomer generation, see, I was very lucky again. Baby boomer generation came behind me. So I bought a cheap house. House went up in price because baby boomers are buying more houses. Yeah. Demography is very important. The third thing is geography. My son, my middle son, who I consider intuitor, went decided to go to the University of Denver from Greenwich. And he went into real estate. Of course, real estate in, in Denver for the last 50 years or 40 years, 40 years he's been there, has gone straight up. So that's what I call geography. And, you know, people who, who basically started, went to California when I was a young man. You couldn't miss if you went into real estate. And then finally, and most important element in our world today is technology. Technology is changing everything. In fact, as I'm, I'm strongly recommending to this university that I'm involved, a couple of universities I'm involved with, basically they start teaching freshmen a course in technology, not formulas, not calculations, but just what the effect of technology on society. Because right now, technology is moving faster than our, our, social, our ability to handle it socially. And I think we have to understand that. But technology is the real changer. And if you find a real technological trend and get on top of it, then you're, you're home free. And, but you may, you may not want to, you may not be a scientist or an engineer as I was, but I was actually turned my, my engineering, I turned into the financial business, but I used that engineering and technical capability to run my business. But if you can find a, a technological trend, which you're enthusiastic about, which is part of your passion, then you're home free or you solve a problem. Like right now, I do believe one of the major problems in America is Alzheimer's. And those mm -hmm. people who dedicate their life to it will get an enormous satisfaction because we will solve it and we have to. I mean, the numbers are overwhelming yeah. giving the aging population. So that's sort of, that's what I call context. And it's just, again, all, most important thing in everything I talk about is to learn to be sensitive to it. And therefore, the way to do that is every once in a while, once a year, once every three years, spend some quiet time alone thinking about these kinds of things. Bring up context, write about it, you know, what do you think it is? Find that partner or that friend and say, am I right? Now, I've been very lucky because I have a group of people called Young Presidents Organization, which I spent the last 50 years with, and they're a group of 
in this case, men. We don't have any women in our group. We, the new YPO has women. And you bring your questions into this group, and you've got a group of people who've been looking at you for 30 or 40 years and can analyze for you. So if you don't have YPO, have a, you know, get a couple of guys or gals who graduated college with you, see them once a year, talk to them, be, you know, be, be sensitive, say, we're going to sit down and talk about this once a year, once a year, twice a year, once a year, once every three years. And this, I, I believe in writing things down, looking at them, because thinking is very fuzzy, talking and forget what you said. But when you write it down, you look at it, you can say, this is what I really believe. So I've done that all my life. So writing down, I love that. And I love this fact you shared the technology and how, why, you know, that's always about, it doesn't have to be that you have to be an expert in technology, but to know that, you know, that how it can enhance the things uh, that How can it impact you? Yeah, exactly yes. right. You know, and I, I learned that early because all the things I learned in college was pre-computer. Yeah. Then I went in the service. I got my first job at, at a chemical company, and everything was computer. So all the things I learned, I, my, my final exam, one of my final exams, you 2,400 spiral movements. <laughs> and, you know, when I, it was a full-day full day exam. They gave you a whole, whole day to do the exam. When I got to Hercules Powder Company, I was working in plastics. I before Dustin Hoffman. I was working in plastics. Everything was computerized. You know, we were computerizing all of our all of our experiments and everything else. So I had to learn that whole business. Everything I learned was almost, you know, worthless. And so that's why I say that that technology has so much an enormous effect. And it goes back to the 15th century when the printing press, you know, came in in, in, in vogue. But today there are so many technologies. That's why, again, young people today have more opportunity than any time in the history of the world. Not only do they have technology that can span all kinds of arenas, they have the whole world available to them, you know, and we didn't. You know, when yeah. I graduated business school in 64, the world was still a closed experience. And I worked yeah. in Belgium and I, I realized that it was to me a long time before that opened up. I went down to Central America, I worked down there. And again, it took 20 or 30 years, but today it's wide open. And it's wide open because of the internet. And, 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 and Web3, which is going to come. So Well, absolutely. I mean, with all the stuff, like you said, with AI and, and machine learning and all these things that are going on and how that impacts so many different industries. And, and now you got this metaverse thing going on. And I mean, it's just unbelievable. The oh, no, the metaverse thing is something, you, you know, guys like me have, have my son. My son and I have been talking about metaverse now for about a year. Just, I just, it's hard to understand how you buy you buy a mall and something that doesn't exist, and people buy stores in your mall. I mean, <laughs> but, but you know, but but you know, if I look back at my history, I mean, I mean, when I started in the business on Wall Street, I was dealing in the over-the-counter market, and people say, "Oh, can't go in the over-the-counter market. That's you know, dark and so forth." But that was the place to be. That's where the profits were in that point in time. Yeah. Metaverse, you know, uh, crypto and so forth. I'm trying to study that now because I think it's it may happen. You know, it yeah. may happen, maybe may really part of our whole arena, you know, and, you know, we don't know that. But, you know, yeah, all these things are up in the air, the the, the crypto, the NFTs and all yeah, these yeah. things. But but you got to keep your eye on it, because, again, as things start to grow like Bitcoin, everyone thought, hey, you know, that'll come and go and hear it still around and still around. <laughs> no, no, still, no, no, no. That, that, that's what happens is that the things come up and and they basically what happens to people like me is we become irrelevant because we will refuse to take the next step and understand yeah. these things and they stay, they, they become very important. So I, I, uh, I, but well, I, you, I just, you just made another great point there. It doesn't matter. Like I said, wherever you are in life, you know, whatever generation type, if you're 
a traditionalist, a baby boomer. I'm a Gen X, you know, yeah. millennials, Gen Z. It's always that every life in business is constantly evolving, whether if you're going to change with it or not. So the question is, if you're not changing with it, you're just, it's just, you're doing yourself, a, it's a disadvantage to yourself because you have to be able to evolve. Sometimes we have to adapt to things, but to kind of see where the opportunities are with that change. And you have to change because if you don't change, well, I, I mean, my life, Hutton didn't change. It went out yeah. of business. It went out of business. I mean, and, and I sold Furman Cells in 1997, and companies like mine that didn't sell out are struggling today. That particular middle-sized investment banks, except for one, really almost went out of business completely. And of course, yeah. my son is in real estate. You know, the old days when you were a real estate broker, you had all these, you know, little things you could, you, know, you were the only one who had it. Today, you punch a button and all the things for sale. It's all right there. <laughs> so the, the, just, and you just cut, and you know, at my hat, my 85th birthday, my, my, my wife bought me a, 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 a Nantucket golf course hat and on the back says, what's next? And the last <laughs> line of my book is what's next? And that's why I keep asking people, Ask people asking that question, what's next? And don't keep fighting the past. You know, you ask one of the things, one of the things I've passed on to people is try never be a victim. You know, never be a victim because that uses enormous energy and it's wasted. Use that energy, which is tough enough to figure out what's next and go in that direction. And my life, again, the book will show you that. At Lehman Brothers, I spent seven years doing almost everything right. I brag about it because I really turned the securities division around. That I left that, I raised 10, almost $10 billion in the money management business. But the boss and I, Luke Glucksman, didn't get along. He kicks me out. And, you know, I could afford him. Because yep. I, had, I, I, I had outside boards and everything else. I let it go. I went in and I found my dream job, which would become, become the chairman and CEO of a small investment bank, which is what I really wanted to do. I didn't want to be in the big fancy, you know, arenas with, with large companies and so forth. This was fun. I could afford him though, and I used that energy. Instead, I used the energy to make this little company. Exactly. Well, in and this case, it worked to your, it worked to your advantage, right? Because what look what Lehman ended up going under after exactly, after the financial right. crash. They went yeah. under seven months after I left. They sold out the Shearson, you know, because they were doing a lot of the wrong things. And yeah. you know what what that's why I say if you what and in case of Furman Cells, I always had to ask what's next. Because when you're a small operation. You're jumping when I call from lily pad to lily pad because if you don't keep moving, they're going to get you. <laughs> and during that period, 75% of the firms in my arena went out of business or merged, and we stayed in until 1997. Yeah. Well, that's fabulous. Well, I mean, you just clearly identified, like, again, you, 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 you evolved and adapted, and, but you didn't let it hold you back. You just kept that's moving right. forward. Even yeah. though you failed. I mean, I, I, I failed. I, I tell young people also, early failure is a gift. Oh, yeah. You, you learn more from a real, and I really failed. I, I spun myself out from my, my home company, my first job uh, after business school, spun myself out in my own company. We were successful for a while, and I made a lot of mistakes, but I learned from those mistakes. I learned, first of all, that you can't do everything. I mean, I, I, was, I was running the fund, it was a mutual fund, doing extremely well, and I had to build my, some of my people, and then I lost my marketing. So, oh, God. so I marketed, managed the firm, manage the firm and manage the, manage the money, can't do those three things. Not that I wasn't good enough or smart enough or hardworking enough. They require different talents. And if you develop this talent over here in marketing, you're not going to be that good in managing the money. And managing people is an entirely different talent. Yeah. So I learned, I learned, and then for the rest of my life, I got partners to do things that I couldn't do. You know, man, marketing people. I, I'm a pretty good marketer, but I got marketing people who are better than I was. 
And yeah. I, but, I, the partnership thing is so much fun because I tell people what you really should do is find partners who do things you can't do, find partners who do things you can do but you don't want to do, and therefore you end up doing the things you want to do that you do best. <laughs> well, I, you, you, I mean, God, you, you are speaking the sustainable success language here to that's us. A, that's exactly and, it. Uh, and you know better than me because you've been, you've done all this, you've been, you've been around, and but I love what you just said because you're never going to be everything for everyone. You're never going to be great at everything. And I had to learn the hard way, but I learned how to, you know, that I could leverage my strengths, offset my weaknesses with people that were better at that. And of course, it was necessary. But yet, if I spent more time in those things that I wasn't good at, really, I wasn't serving other people. I wasn't serving me or the anybody else that was involved in that that task. So, and he, like, I was forced to do the marketing, and I, I was a pretty good marketer. But in learning that, I, I ended up spending energy and time in that. And you only have a certain amount of psychic energy a day. Then I came back to the portfolio, and the market changed on me in 1972. And because I didn't have that energy, I lost, I lost track of it. We had a bad year, and, and I was a small firm, so I had to sell the firm back to, back to my home company. And it was a disaster. I mean, it was a disaster. But it was a great learning experience yeah. from so many points of view. I also think that, you know, I learned something about being an entrepreneur. I, I, I lecture entrepreneurial clubs now. Try to start with a platform. Don't start from scratch. We started in 400 square feet in the back of a bowling alley with just the <laughs> two of us, you know. And you know, by after five years, although we've been because we were tired, you know, if we would have started with a couple clients and a, and a fund and a few things like that, we would have obviously we would I think we would have been successful. But it was difficult. And uh, but I think that you know it, 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 it these are another thing to like try to reach out. You know, reach out, try experiences. If I think I think I want to be this, go and try that. And we can spend some time on that maybe later on. Yeah, we I can really, do that after the break. Yeah, we got about uh, about a minute and a half to the break. Okay, well, I, I you know, that I, 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 I was wanted to be an international businessman. So I decided I would spend a year in my summer between business school years in Belgium. And that didn't work out because, I, I mean, I did well. It was a, I, I, the, the people said, you was a great job, blah, blah, blah. But I realized it wouldn't be good for me because it was too hard. Everybody's all family business. So all small business. Then I went to Central America to get a takeover, you know, in the emerging markets. That was too early there as well. So I realized international business, although I loved it, wasn't for me. And it was really a break because I would have spent many years in a business and it's very difficult. There was no wind behind, behind your back in international business in the 60s. It was much more difficult. Yeah, so anyway, exactly. Put some time on that. No, I love that. We could definitely chat about that in the next... Well, what, how, we have about 50 seconds to the break. Anything you, would, you want to sum up what you talked about here in the second segment of the show? The same process is, is basically you have to spend time with your inner voice. You've got to continue to be sensitive to your context, what, what's happening in your particular arena, and make sure you understand that. And don't be afraid to leave it. And when I left Hutton, you know, it was a very tough, tough thing. The, the president, the CEO, and I were real buddies. We rode back and forth together, but he was going in the wrong direction. And I had to go. And Lehman Brothers was not the best place to go as a, as a you know, environment, but it was, they were going in the right direction. They were, they were basically getting the wind behind their back, and so I joined them. And I think that's yep. very important. So this is a, that, maybe that's a summation, but also that anything is possible if you focus, you focus your energy on what's next. Love it. I love the what's next. Well, what's next is coming up, everybody. Give us two minutes for the commercial break. We'll be right back and you'll see what's going to happen. What's next with Ed on the road list travel when we come back. 
What is balance? It's being true to your purpose and not being distracted by shiny objects, surrounding yourself with family and loved ones, nurturing your spirituality, maintaining healthy balance of emotional and physical wellness, and being present in the moment. Chris Salem creates awareness about unblocking mindset barriers for sales professionals, business leaders, entrepreneurs, and all types of people to have sustainable success at the next level. The solution evolves out of the problem or challenge. The issue is that many people and businesses manage the effect but do not address the root cause. You now have an opportunity to live your life and operate your business in the solution rather than the effect of your challenges. Schedule a time to chat about your goals and the person you desire to be by going to ChristopherSalem.com. We have group consulting calls, one-on-one, and other programs to assist you. It will be the best thing you do for yourself to see how sustainable success is possible for you in your life and business. Join us at the next level. Visit ChristopherSalem.com. This is the Voice America Influencers Channel. Be inspired. You are listening to Sustainable Success with Chris Salem. Call into our program today at 1-866-472-5795. Again, that's 1-866-472-5795. Or send an email to Chris at ChristopherSalem.com. Now... Back to sustainable success. Well, welcome back. We're talking about on the road less travel with Ed Hajim. Hajim, I always get it. I'm going to get it hey down. Jim, Ed. Hey Jim, <laughs> hey Jim, hey Jim, hey Jim, hey Jim. I'm shouting for Jim. Hey Jim. Yeah. <laughs> hey Jim. <laughs> well, again, if you're just joining us, we've been talking about you know you know just life and business in general, and a lot of the different principles that go along and how we can adapt and learn along the way that wherever we are, we can be in a better place or create a better version of ourselves. And we highly encourage you again to listen to the show in its entirety and an opportunity to get your hands on Ed's book that will be providing some information here that you can go ahead and do so. So Ed, you know, we talked about so many great things about this process and the ability to really, how do we can become more and do more and give back but every per- great person that's evolved, you know, you know, through adversity and, res- and been resilient to really see the other side of success has always had certain people or a person by their side, a partner, so to speak. Can you share some insight about the, the, the most important partner you've had in your life? Well, by far. And, you know, in my, in my four Ps, partner is number three, third P. It's very important in life to find, if you can, a partner. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a spouse, but it's nice that it is a spouse. My story is a great one because in my junior year at college, <clears throat> or senior year at college, I went to the, the next editor of the Humor Magazine, which I found his home. And he had a little 13-year-old sister who bothered us for three days. And after I left home, she told her mother she was going to marry me. And uh, seven years later, uh, uh, he asked me to be the best man in his wedding. And I decided to agree with that. And there's a long story in there how I couldn't really afford to fly to San Francisco from Boston. And I, but I found a company who was going to interview me. I wasn't interested in the company at all, but they were paying my way out of there. But her mother called and said, would I take little Barbara to California? And little Barbara and I passed each other about five times at the Idlewild Airport at the time. And, and finally, I had to pass the word because she changed from a 13-year-old pigtailed little girl to a, a woman. And uh, we went out to the wedding and, and we, we danced. We had a good time. I interviewed the company. I wasn't interested in the company. 
And I came back to Boston and he called her up one weekend and said, would you like to come to Boston? She said, you would. And I said, I'll fix you up with someone your own age. And I did. So, it, but anyway, the second time I actually had a date with her once and but it wasn't seem to be too important, but uh, I was taking a job on Wall Street. She was teaching in Connecticut. I decided I, the last minute I'd take the job with a company that I had no interest in in California. I spent, <laughs> eventually spent 10 years with them. All right. She canceled her job at, in Connecticut and applied to graduate school in San Francisco. She followed me out to California. So I ran after her till she caught me. And uh, we were married for 56 years. We have three children, eight grandchildren. And without her, I wouldn't be here today. She has been, so in my mind, if you can find someone to sh- who's gonna support you, who you can share your life with, who will be honest with you all your life, you're way ahead of the ball game. Now, it may not be a spouse, it may be a, a very close friend, it may even be a, an older child that can, but that's very important. And I find partners, all kinds of partners are so important. Almost in everything I've done, in fact, in the book you will see, when I had the right partners, I was successful, when I had no partners or the wrong partners, I failed. So partners are key to, to my mind, key to life. And, and, you know, my partners, when I created a golf course in Nantucket, I had the absolute right partners and the thing really worked well. Wow. I love, I love that story of how it all evolved. And, you know, and it, and it was a process too. Like it wasn't something that was rushed and, you know, no. it was just something that kind of evolved and, it was something like, again, you weren't planning on it. It wasn't, you know, it just no, sort of no, it's a, it was, it was, came. Yeah. It was, well, it, in some respects, it's fate, I suppose. But, yes. you know, of course, I, I given my, my background, I had difficulty with, you know, I had a lot of girlfriends and so forth, but I had difficulty with permanent relationships because they weren't, you know, they weren't part of my life. And I found someone who was from a fine family, you know, who basically had a loving family, and she, she exuded that. And obviously, yeah. I, 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 I resonated with that. That's why it worked, and that's and that was something like you said because you didn't have that growing up, and then you were able to. Mm. It gave you that foundation. Her mother became my mother too. My mother-in-law became very close. In fact, uh, she 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 liked me as as much as she liked her son. I think (laughs) who was my (laughs) one of my best friends. So you weren't just a son-in-law; you could have actually been her son. I was was right there. Yeah, exactly. Well, now that we're talking about mothers, you know, you know, you you had a great relationship with your mother-in-law. Let's talk about, you know, I know you have a story about your your biological mother. Can we? Well, you know, my father told me that she died when I when he kidnapped me when I was three years old. I mean, I I'm sure he told me, but he didn't. You know, he didn't. I when I was three years old, what did I know about my mother dying? And I grew up thinking that she passed away in childbirth. You know, and he said she didn't like children and she didn't like you. And he basically painted her into a you know, pretty bad yeah. position. And so I, and I basically lived that lie for 57 years. And it actually it served me well. It served me well. It made, I didn't have to sit down and explain it. A little bit of denial never hurts. A lot of people say, let everything hang out. Well, I denied this. And, you know, my wife actually thought that, that the story didn't fit together. But I didn't exactly want to explore it. When my father died, he left a suitcase. And... Uh, that's yeah, so why I, I cleared out everything else. I took this one suitcase back to Greenwich and put it in the closet because I opened it up and it had a lot of bad memories in it. So I just put it away. One rainy day when I was 60, my wife says, I'm throwing this out. She always throws things out if you don't look into it. So I looked into it and I found a package of letters from my mother and father and realized that my father and mother actually got divorced. I didn't know that. Yeah. And she didn't die. So I hired a special uh, as a detective, an investigative detective in New York, sprang and sprang, 
And he started to study the whole thing. And it turns out in St. Louis, looking up the name Hadrum, he was able to get the marriage records. And within about six weeks, he actually found her. She was 81 wow. years old. Her, she had remarried. She had another son. And her husband had died a couple years before. And so, you know, I called her up. I actually wrote a letter to her. I said, this, I think I'm your son. It's in, the, it's in the book, by the way. The letter's in the book. I think I'm your son. And if you really want to reconnect, and call me at 6 o'clock on Sunday night and so forth. And so she did. And we decided to go to St. Louis. And I rang the doorbell and, of her apartment house. And I said, there, I'm your son 57 years late. And the funniest part of the whole story was her second son was there. And she called him when she found out that I was going to come out and said, remember that brother you always wanted? I think I found him for you. <laughs> she was an absolute character. And, and, you know, it would have been, and I was still a private person. So I didn't, and that day, the St. Louis Courier Journal had a, an article on the front page of a woman who reconnected with her daughter after 25 years. Here the same day I was connecting my mother after 57 years, but I was still a private person. And I wasn't willing to, because it would have been a great psychological study for some graduate student to, when we reconnected, she talked fast, and no one talks fast in St. Louis, and I talk fast, obviously. She, she's a little bit bent over the way I'm bent over, and turns out that she rhymes. I mean, people invite me to parties because I do rhymes. She rhymes better than I do. So that, that there was, a, <laughs> and by the way, I found out something totally unique. I thought I was my father. Well, I wasn't my father because I, a lot of things about my father I wasn't. I was my mother as well. Yeah. So I got that whole experience of learning, you know, a different kind of person. My father was very emotional. My mother was very, she's very, she's a thinking person. She very rarely got emotional. In fact, when we met, she, when we weren't emotional for about two or three hours later, we got a little bit emotional. But at the beginning, there was no emotion. Just, you know, she basically said, nice to see you and so forth. We were on our way. And so she was a thinking person and not a feeling person. Yeah. And that's all part of my MO. And my father was much more of an emotional, you know, impulsive person. And, and had, but he wasn't, he didn't think about what he was going to do next. And he got himself in a lot of trouble all through his life. So yeah. that was kind of an interesting experience. And she lived for 12 years. And, you know, she said, I'm not your mother. Don't worry about it. But if I didn't call her every Sunday, she'd say, long time between drinks of water. <laughs> <laughs> she was an absolute character. She, we we traveled, traveled with her. We took her to our homes and so forth. And she fitted right in. Uh, and the, there were three old ladies. My mother-in-law died at 98. My, my Barbara's aunt, who was 95, died at 95. My mother died at 93. They became the Three Musketeers for about 10 years. So it was really wow. a, a wonderful ending story in addition to my story. You know, that really kind of, you know, you don't think you're going to have anything else in your life. And here you all of a sudden you get this. And you know, the other part of my life that happened in uh, 1997, uh, we, went to, we went to Nantucket in 1994. And I applied to all the clubs like you always do when you get to a new community. And I had a lot of friends in the golf club and in the yacht club. And five years later, I was rejected by both of them. And I came back home and I said to Barbara, you know, let's get out of here. I can't play golf. I'm not going to stay in Nantucket. She said, well, you built a golf course in Vail. Why don't you build one here? And I said, oh, so I went out and I found a piece of land. And I called the guy from Vail who did, did, that, did that golf course. He came with me. It's in the book. It's really, we're writing a book on the golf course now because it's 25 years old. And we formed a club. Everybody said it wouldn't work. And we bought land. We overpaid for the land. And, you know, it's one of the great success stories of my life. We have, we have, you know, 300 members. We have a long waiting list. It's been an enormous success. And over the years, we've converted the club to an institution on the island. We're the wow. largest charitable institution on the island. We've, we put more than 25 kids through college. 
And we three years ago, we started a vocational education program. Now we have seven kids a year going to vocational schools. And it's just a great experience. And I'll tell you, of all the things in my life that you get the biggest kick out of is that after nine holes, go up to the snack bar. And Kelly, the snack bar girl, says to you, what's your number? You say, number one. <laughs> so you know that that's that that and it's been a great i mean i've changed we've changed three or four hundred families lives by creating this golf course and golf course that's unbelievable I've been, I've been involved in building three of them this one more than any of the others i mean i was i was a founder of the other two but this one proved to me that you take a beautiful piece of land and you basically golf courses is 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 art with a bulldozer you took 300 acres and you didn't put houses on it. You just put a golf course on it and four or five cabins. It was just, it's absolutely, it's sanctuary. So, I mean, that, yeah. that's, and that's, you know, that's luck. You know, if I wasn't rejected by the club, we never would have built the them. And that, again, use, I could have been a victim. I could have gone because the president of the club was a buddy of mine. I could have gone in there and gotten irritated. And I just said, okay, what's next? <laughs> <laughs> well, Ed, Ed, you have just been uh, just a wealth of wisdom in your story is just so inspirational for our listeners and those that will be listening later. I just want to give, we have about less than uh, about a minute and a half. I wanted to give the rest of the the time. If you could just share uh, where people can pick up a copy of the book or anything else that you'd like to uh, share as a final thought. It's on Amazon. I mean, it's under on on the road, less travel, the unlikely journey, the orphanage to the boardroom. It's on Amazon. And by the way, if you do buy the book and read it, make sure you give me a little rating <clears throat> a rating and a little brief review to my publisher. If I don't say that, he gets annoyed at me. And Simon <laughs> and Trister also has the book. And if you're like I am, you're a slow reader. We've done an audio version and Bob Shapiro did an outstanding job. He really has my voice. So the audio version is through Audible and that can be purchased very easily. It's on Kindle and all the rest of the other devices. But Amazon is the place to get it. On, on the Road, Less Travel by Ed Hadram. Uh, it's right there. We've, have, we've, got, we've got 175 star ratings and there's a, a very good blurb there. You can almost read the blurb and get away with not reading the book, but I'd appreciate it if you buy the book and, and read it. And basically, don't hesitate to email me. Uh, you can also look at my website, edhagem.com. Uh, <clears throat> it's an easy one. Uh, and that basically has a little, little, little button on yeah. it. You can press that and they'll buy the book for you as well. So Appreciate it very much. And just Chris, Chris yeah. I, I, this has been so much fun. You've been terrific. Oh, you, you, and you, you've been. You stimulated me. You, you, this is one of the better, best interviews I've had. Thank you. Oh, man. I'm so happy. And I can't thank you. You have been a phenomenal guest. And, and I want to thank you again for taking time today away from your family to be here with us today. We are so blessed to have you and hear your story today. Thank you so much. And listeners, we want to thank you each and every week being here. We highly encourage you to get your hands on Ed's book. Uh, if you would prefer the audiobook, get the audiobook. This will definitely help you in wherever you are moving forward. We're also going to put that information on the uh, show description as well. So again, feel free to reach out to Ed at his website. Again, uh, listeners, we'll be back next Thursday, same time, 12 to 1 East Coast time, 9 to 10 Pacific Standard Time. Have a great rest of your week and we'll see you next Thursday. Thank you for tuning in to Sustainable Success. Be sure to join Chris Salem and his guests every Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Have an incredible week.